This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. It's MPB Season Pass with Jay White. I'm Sam Wells. Jay, we got a big show today, man. Yeah, we do. Good stuff. We do. Speaking to a couple of coaches from a Northwest Rankin soccer team who won the double. 6A state champions for the girls and the boys. The boys are number one in the nation. That's right. Finish the season. A one versus two game in the country. Yeah. Right here in the state. How about that? That's pretty wild stuff. And uh, uh, But first, man, we're going to lead off. You know how much I love soccer and you know how much I love tennis. So we're going to lead off today with the... ATP Tour rolling through Memphis. They'll be in uh, Memphis at the Racket Club of Memphis for the Memphis Open. And we have uh, one of the top seeds in the tournament right now, Ryan Harrison, on the show with us. Ryan is from Shreveport, Louisiana. And, uh, Ryan, you, you're, uh, you might be better known in these parts, or at least in Starkville, as Madison Harrison's brother, as uh, yeah, she, of course, absolutely. plays her state. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Um, yeah, I love the South. I mean, I grew up in Louisiana. I've traveled all over the South all my life. And, uh, like you said, my sister goes to Mississippi State. I know that Memphis has got quite a few Ole Miss people, but we won't hold that against y'all. Um, we'll, uh, you know, hopefully have a lot of hometown support and then uh, look forward to getting up there. And now your dad now played a year at Ole Miss uh, back in the back in the uh, back in the day, I guess. So, so you're not too averse to any Ole Miss folks, I guess. No, no, no. I was kind of joking. I, my family um, had some people that went to Ole Miss. My dad played there for a couple of years. Um, so I guess I, I don't really have any crazy allegiances to any colleges around there. I, I just uh, want my sister to do well, obviously, now that she's at Mississippi State. And, and obviously, whenever I'm uh, cheering for any of the SEC teams, basically, I, I always cheer for them. Yeah, yeah, you got to with the uh, with that connection. Well, Ryan, you, your mm-hmm. career has had a tennis resurgence here over the last couple of years. Uh, last year, uh, you, you got back into the winning column uh winning some tournaments talk about that talk about how you kind of uh not that you faded from obscurity or anything like that but uh speak about uh, your career kind of going on the upswing again yeah you know i mean for a while there i felt like i was uh in a little bit of a rut almost i i was playing a level that i felt like wasn't close to where my potential was and that uh it just became a, a really tough thing for me to get out of, and, and I think that mentally was the was the biggest change. Um, I don't think my ability ever really left. I think that the thing for me was uh, just getting people around who still believe that I could accomplish the things that I could. Um, you know, you have a couple people in your life that are going to be there through thick and thin, and I uh, I really made a commitment to try and being around the people who uh, who still believed I could I could do it, and and still were willing to work with me daily on some of the things I needed to change in order to accomplish what my dreams were. And uh, you know, just being around them, it, it changed my mentality. It, it changed a little bit about how I was approaching things. And uh, once I got some wins going, then it, it becomes easier because your confidence gets back. Yeah, and speaking of wins, you got your first win in the U.S. and the uh, Australian Open this year uh, to make it to the second round over Nicholas Mahu. A lot of people know him as the uh, the other guy who played against uh, John Isner in the seventy to six or seventy sixty nine seventy one or whatever that uh, the final score of that crazy Wimbledon match was. And then you won a tournament championship last week against Taylor Fritz. Uh, talk about how that feels winning a winning a challenger tournament, and now you're coming into uh, to the uh, to this Memphis Open on a really good run of uh, you didn't drop a set last week winning that tournament. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Australian Open was big because, uh, you know, after I finished out last year, which was on a stronger note than other years before, uh, you know, you have like a two-month off-season break. And so, you know, you're always hopeful that you're going to continue that high level into the next season. But with such a long break, I guess your momentum is kind of stalled a little bit because you have to sit there on it and, you know, think about it and get ready to go again. But I guess for me, the Australia trip was a positive trip, but it was more positive because of the consistency that I was able to maintain going down there and, and playing the same level that I felt like I'd finished on and, and maybe even better at times. And then coming back to the States, um, you know, I, I played that tournament last week and I was able to get a title and, and I beat some really good players along the way. Some of our up and coming new Americans who are really talented and some of which who have had some success there in Memphis, among other cities in the U.S. So um, it's exciting, you know, to come in on a, on a title. I hadn't won a title in over two years. Um, I feel like my, my game, my ranking and, and everything really, I, I just feel like it's on the upswing. If you will, talk a little bit about your experience with the Memphis Open. This is cool because this is a a, a world-class event that, uh, you know, we're a, a kind of a Mississippi statewide sports show. And for a lot of people in North Mississippi, and I, I've made the trip, a lot of people have made the trip from Central Mississippi. Uh, I mean, it's, it's worth it to, to make the investment and the drive and the time to go up there because it is an awesome event and the venue is really cool and intimate at the same time. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, I've always played the Memphis event because of the hospitality feeling of it. I mean, I, I grew up in the South, so whenever I was playing it growing up in the first early stages of my career, I, I loved it. I loved the people around who were who were so close and so supportive, um, especially of all of our, our Americans there. Um, so when you're there, you know, it, it's, a, it's a really fan-friendly environment. You feel like you can get really up close with most of the guys because the way that the tournament is laid out, you are actually up close and personal with all the players and, and their practice sessions, and they have a massive uh, kind of food and fun, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a playroom, but it's more like a hangout. They have a bar and that sort of stuff. But the players are always out and about in there, you know, playing ping pong and hanging out and watching television. <laughs> there's, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of different interaction. You know, I remember last year, for example, the Super Bowl was on, and me and about 10 or 15 other players watched the Super Bowl kind of out in the open pavilion area with a lot of the fans who were hopefully going to be supporting us in the coming days. So that's the feel that I get from the Memphis tournament. It's just, uh, it's obviously very well run. It's very uh, hardly worked at throughout the year to make sure people and have, you know, everything organized. The courts are great. But the biggest thing for me is the hospitality and the, I guess, the friendliness vibe around there. And uh, if, you, if you would, uh, Ryan, talk about some of the up and coming Americans. You know, you, we talked about how you uh, you beat Taylor Fritz last week in the uh, in that tournament. Steve Johnson's doing really well. Of course, Jack Sock played in the Olympics and won a uh, won a doubles gold uh, for them. So, uh, just talk about that. I know a lot of people are looking forward to you know the dream match or the dream final, Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal in the Australian Open Championship. But I know me and the you know, a bunch of my other buddies who follow tennis want to see the USA back in the champion back in the title hunt. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, before you get like a, uh, I guess, a, a massive title winner, you have times in sports where someone who, you know, is a diamond in the rough comes out like a Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal, and they're just great from 18 years old. They're going to go out and win Grand Slam titles, and you just know it's going to be a matter of how many. Uh, unfortunately, most people in the world have to, uh, you know, kind of go through a longer process. And whenever you have, uh, I guess, just a lot of prospects, a lot of potential like the U.S. has right now, then that's where you can see some of them starting to push each other into the higher 
higher uh, levels of the game. And uh, right now, I think that we have, like you talked about, we have four guys in the top 30. We have Isner, who's been in the top 10. Jack's been on the up climb. Sam has been playing really well. You saw him at, at Wimbledon last year take out Novak Djokovic on the way to the quarterfinals. And Stevie's been very consistent. Stevie's uh, been a guy who consistently has been in the semis and quarters and finals of tournaments over the last six months and gotten his ranking inside the top 25 as well. So I think that uh, beyond that, you know, you have a little bit of the younger guys who will take a little bit of time. You know, I mean, like Taylor Fritz made his run to the final last year. But, you know, it takes time to really put that together consistently. You know, I think that some people who see him do that will just expect that he's going to buy the U.S. Open series, uh, be seated at the U.S. Open or something like that. And, and it's just it's a really tough you know, thing out there. You've got a lot of guys who can play. And so for these younger guys, it's just it's going to be a matter of staying hard, staying um, you know disciplined and working hard uh, through the tough times because there will be. How hard is it to stay at that level? We talked about you know, Sam mentioned you know some of the world class names right there, and we've talked before about uh, the, the dividing line between the the very elite and guys that are ranked fortieth or fiftieth. It's not that much at all, but it. it outside of a certain number of the top players in the world, uh, it's a hustle uh, to, to, to be able to play as many events as you need to to stay in the form that you need to. How difficult is it to stay at that very top level? Yeah, I mean, the, so the system's kind of set and built up to where um, once you are at the top, every tournament you're playing, if it's a 250, you get a buy. And if you're seated, then you don't have to play anybody who is ranked ahead of you until later in the draw you know it it becomes a system where and rightfully so because those guys have worked their way up there but it's kind of built to protect the guys who have worked to the top so it's especially hard to break through um you know the number one seed in the tournament or number two seed in the tournament they're not going to have to play um each other until the finals you know so you have to see that like as you work through and, and try to break in that that is kind of how the system is made and your confidence gets going by winning matches. And it certainly doesn't hurt to have to play people who aren't top 10 in the world in the first couple of rounds. So, um, you know, that's a little bit about how the system's set up, but from a mental side of things, it's just, uh, it's confidence. Really. You have to know that like going out there and playing, there's so many fractional moments that you might be a little hesitant in that they might not be because of, just confidence they, they're in the positions they've executed in them a lot so they don't uh hesitate and you know where maybe at times and i've certainly felt that way and most people have you you know are in a positive position but then you have that kind of holy cow am i really you know am i really in this moment and, and i think that most of the top guys are able to just stay with what they're doing and use that sort of confidence that they have as a uh as just a, a, an ultimate backbone, no matter what situation they have, it always keeps them in the right frame of mind. Ryan Harrison is up to you. You are up to your highest ranking since February of 2013. So, man, keep going. You will play in the Memphis Open this week. Uh, begins on uh, the February 11th. It'll go through next weekend. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, and we'll be looking for you this week at, at the in the Memphis Open, and we'll be watching for your sister at Mississippi State this uh, this uh, year too. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Look forward to getting up there. All right, man. That Ryan Harrison from uh, from Shreveport, Louisiana, and uh, like I said, Jay, his sister is uh, swinging the racket for Mississippi State University right now. So uh, it's always good to get some some Southern flavor. And uh, man, me and uh, me and one of Ryan's mutual friends, Seth Little, 
We'd root him on every week. Me and Seth are texting back and forth, watching the ATP site, looking to see uh, Ryan move up the rankings. So it's good to good to visit with him, and uh, hopefully he can win next week in the at the Memphis Open. A lot of big names in that as well, including one of my favorites, uh, Den- uh, Dennis Kugler, is in yeah. that as well. Unlike other a lot of other events, man. Uh, I can tell you from experience, going to uh, a semifinal a couple years ago, uh, I mean, you have really, really close access to oh, yeah. some of the best players in the world. And when you've got like, uh, and I always mess his name, is it is it Isner? K. Nishikori or John Isner, yes. Isner, thank you. I mean, <laughs> Nishikori his, won last He year. has like a, what, like a 160 mile hour serve or something like that. It's, it's, one of the, good. it's one of the very fastest. Pretty quick. And seeing that, 160, I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Seeing that in person is pretty incredible. And then Nichikori, I was like 15 feet away from the fifth-ranked player in the world. Anyway, yeah, it's wild stuff. Season pass. We'll be back right after this on Think Radio. Welcome back. Season Pass, MPB Think Radio with Sam Wells. I'm Jay White. Hey, man, uh, interesting stuff going on uh, looking back over some Mississippi sports history. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Today is the eve of the 30-year anniversary of the 1987 College Football Signing Day. Interesting things happened on that day. Do do tell. Southern Miss (laughs) signed a, a... a skinny uh, option quarterback from Hancock North Central High School, Brett Farr, yeah, was in that class. He turned out to be um, pretty good. He it, it worked out. Uh, ultimately, the stars didn't matter then <laughs> on that the, well, on that uh, particular occasion. the The current Southern Miss head football coach Jay Hobson uh, was uh, an All State defensive back at uh, Warren Central in Vicksburg. He signed with the Ole Miss Rebels. Um, and so there were a, a lot of uh, interesting things. Jimmy Smith was in that class also. By the way, it's Jimmy Smith's birthday today. Uh, oh, this yeah. past year, he was uh, inducted into the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, Ring of Honor, Hall of Fame, whatever they call it. He, he, they put him in it. Yeah. Um, well earned for him. Yeah. And um, if you look at his career numbers, I don't know, because there's a bottleneck at wide receiver. He's, he's got... He's got Hall of Fame potential numbers. I don't. I don't know if he'll ultimately get there because, like I said, there. I mean, they're talking about Terrell Owens. Yeah, being borderline or, or whatever. And it is. Like, I don't know. Uh, yeah, hmm. I mean, so there's a bottleneck there, and that might push Jimmy on the outside until you know considerably further on. But um, you know, to that point, he was in that class. He wound up signing with Jackson State. It was a pretty interesting. Uh, class that 1987 class with some guys that, uh, as you can see, worked out pretty well. Yeah, for uh, each of the teams there. Not not uh, not bad at all. It's pretty good stuff. <laughs> it's nice to talk about a little something that's successful after watching our <laughs> house, our, our college basketball teams uh, just yeah. absolutely flame out. Yeah. I mean, once you think uh, that either one Ole Miss, Mississippi State, or Southern Miss, or JSU, any, any of them get on a roll, boy, they just lay a an absolute egg. Well, uh, this year games. specifically, um, uh, boy, the, right now about the most uh, consistent team we have in the state is Alcorn. Yeah, um, Montez Robinson, who I think is a uh, was an amazing hire, uh, outside of the box thinking uh, talent evaluator, uh, like a minor league uh, basketball talent evaluator. So yeah. obviously, this guy knows where to find talent off the beaten path, and 
just think about it. That's perfect. Yeah. That's perfect for the situation that you're in. And, uh, you know, he's proven his X's and O's uh, ability. And, man, I think sky's the limit for that dude. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately for Alcorn, ultimately, <laughs> I think that I think they won't be able to hold on to him eventually because I think he's they're already the second best team in the league this year. And um, that puts him in an advantageous situation come tournament time. Yeah. And in the SWAC, as we know, and I've lamented multiple times, the regular season is just to lock up an NIT bid in case you lose the conference tournament. And that's the whole season. Yeah. The whole season is the three-day conference tournament. That's yeah. what that's what counts. That's where the bid to the big dance comes from. And he's setting himself up for a good spot there. So Yeah. Hopefully they can get in there and do it because there is no one else that will be representing the state in the boys and the men's classification of the NCAA tournament. Um, the Howell, Miss, by the way, the Howell Trophy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would assume Sebastian Saez. Uh, Sebastian Saez, I guess, yeah. would be the guy who would. I mean, he's had he got his like seventeenth straight double double last yep. night, and a, a very lackluster performance for the rest of the Ole Miss team as uh, as uh, DeAndre Burnett went a cool two for thirteen. From the floor, and yeah. if that happens, Ole Miss is not going to win, and that has happened far too many times this season. Yeah. Uh, Mississippi State uh, just gets absolutely blown out of the water by Ole Miss last weekend. They come back, they get down twenty to Tennessee. They come all the <laughs> way back and win the game. And I read one of my friends, uh, John Lasseter, who we've had on the show, the author of the Deuce McAllister letter, right. he tweets <laughs> out, "This could be the turning point the team and the program have been waiting for." And then I turned to the Auburn game uh, two nights ago, and they're down twenty in the first half against Auburn. I'll say this for Ben. Allen's Mississippi State team, Jay. They do not quit. But the problem is, they don't start either. And well, by the time I they mean, do start, it's like you said a minute behind. ago. It's, it's an inconsistency issue. I mean, it, 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 scored, if, and plus, you're in SEC basketball yeah, country. Yeah. Uh, you got 64 keep, points in the second half. You're like, oh, man, what an offense. Nah, yeah. they just shot 700 free throws. Yeah. So did Auburn. So did Tennessee last 72 night. 72 free throws. I didn't see. Tennessee shot like. 30 in the second half yeah i didn't see what the what the final stats were for the old miss tennessee game i just saw that tennessee came from behind at the end right there yeah, but a 20 to 4 run to close the game out that ain't gonna do it yeah <laughs> if you're trying to win a game on the road not scoring for like five minutes it's not gonna work right but uh i mean just all the free throws man i, yeah. I calculated this yesterday i took a random it's tough to watch free throw sequence from that game from the whistle of the foul to lining up at the free throw line to shooting and whatever happens with the shot. Mm-hmm. It took 23 seconds. If you if you consider that the average, and that's actually that's fairly quick yeah. for the first free throw. The second free throw takes longer because you're not shuffling guys around. It, or it takes, it's quicker because you're not shuffling guys around. 23 seconds times the amount of free throws that were shot, 20, uh, excuse me, 72 in that Mississippi State-Auburn game. If that is the average amount of time it takes to get a free throw shot, you watched 27 and a half minutes of free throws hit that game. You watched guys shooting free throws for almost a half an hour. Uh, and then the other thing I have is the fact that um, you got the Mississippi State game uh, two nights ago starts at 8 p.m., and then uh, with all those free throws on top of it, I mean, the game is almost going to midnight. And then yesterday, the Ole Miss game starts at 5.30 in the afternoon? I mean, come on. At some point, there has to be a law of diminishing returns 
that the ESPN family of networks has to be running into with regard to what you're doing to your audience versus getting all of those games individual time slots that are not versus other conference games and trying to maximize the number of eyes and the and the ultimately what that means the advertising value that that you that you can get out of your rating for each game so i mean i don't know that that one game at state play at 8 p.m on a tuesday night and an old miss tipping at 5 30 on a wednesday night 5 30 for a basketball game <laughs> it's east coast time man I mean, I guess six thirty. That, that's a that's a random and a half time, and then starting the game the night before at eight p.m. The thing is, at midnight when you count the seventy five hundred free throws they shot in that game, <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. And yeah. then here we got the SEC referees. You know, um, a Mississippi State student um, lobs a below sea level word. Yeah, and they ejected, ejected from at, that. That was ridiculous. Right, at a referee. Absolutely and, ridiculous. And he gets mad. I don't know where that guy's been refing his whole life, but I, if that's if that's the worst thing he's ever heard, and he felt like he needed to eject that student, who didn't shout it at him, by the way. Not that makes any better, but you know, I, the referee couldn't have felt threatened by the way the guy said it. I don't know. Um, very interesting. He needed his safe space, evidently. We'll take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, the uh, the sweep of 6A. The double. That's the right. Double. Northwest Rankin, uh, including uh, a battle of what was the number one and two soccer teams, men, uh, boys soccer teams, not just in Mississippi, but in the country, uh, according to the rankings from Max Preps. We'll do that on the other side of this timeout. Sam Wells of Jay White, MPB Season Pass on Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with Sam Wells. I'm Jay White. And uh, we welcome in, glad to have, uh, Chris Gardner, boys uh, soccer coach at Northwest Rankin. Dean Joseph, girls soccer coach at Northwest Rankin. As Sam mentioned in the last segment, they just pulled off the double, uh, winning the uh, boys and girls MHSAA 6A state championships at Clinton High School over the weekend. Incidentally, it is the uh, fourth consecutive year that boys and girls have been won by the same school. Interestingly enough, I don't wow. know what that's about. That's uh, crazy. Right? <laughs> but, um, guys, uh, first off, congratulations. Thank you for coming in, and uh, we appreciate it. And, and uh, uh, good job on the championships. Well, thank you. Uh, first, um, let's start um, um, with Coach Joseph here. Um, and, and by the way, both teams played Ocean Springs 
in the finals, uh, which is interesting also. The, the girls' championship, Ocean Springs scores early, and they had they had already upset for people who had not followed this along. They were the eighth-ranked team in the state. This is all according to Max Preps, which I know is not hard and fast, the end-all, be-all of rankings. But they were eighth, and they beat Brandon, who I think was fifth, um, and they beat um, another team who was second. Maybe Brandon was second, and another team was fifth. Ogrove. Ogrove, thank you. They beat two teams in a row that were ranked higher than them to get to the championship. Two nothing, one nothing, one nothing. It seemed like you, you saw by their scores that one of their things was scoring early and then just like conquering down. And they scored early. Parking the bus, Jay. Park, parking the bus. <laughs> they scored early in this game, and then they, man, if you're counting to 100, they got to 99.9. But your girls got that goal at the last minute, and then in overtime scored again and pulled out this championship. How did you keep them uh, focused and and not panicked at any point? Or, or did they? Did you have to kind of bring them back in? No, well, we spoke the whole year that it could come down to one minute. Um, you know, we worked on set pieces a lot during the year because that sometimes is the difference. And that was ultimately what won the game in our favor. Mm-hmm. But we, we, you know, we've we've been resilient the whole year. You know, we we have um, played at the same intensity the whole time. And then even against uh, Medicine Central, we saw a lot of character. We were three nothing down, came back to three two. So we saw a lot of fights in the girls there, and we used that as a as a um, <clears throat> a teaching moment there to, to tell the players, hey, you just got to keep going, got to keep finding ways in, because Ocean Springs were very compact, played very very deep, yeah. Um, so it was very tough to get in behind them, but you know, I felt that if we just kept knocking on the door and asking questions, something was going to happen in our favour. After the the after the match was over and they had won the championship, did it occur to them that that? How how on the brink that game was? Um, I don't I don't think they really <laughs> thought about that. After <laughs> there were so many emotions going, yeah. Um, because obviously it's it's all of their first time in, in the final ever, um, and then winning the game in such dramatic fashion. I think the emotions were a lot higher. But obviously, when they reflect back on it, um, once some time has passed, they're going to realize how special it was. You talked about uh, playing Madison Central. They had won four consecutive 6A championships coming into this. Uh, at the start of the season, what were your goals? Was it just to, uh, to find a way to get around the Jags, or did you know that you had a team that w- could run with anybody in the state? Uh, I didn't really look too far down the line. We were mm-hmm. just looking at trying to get better every day, and we tried to make sure that the players just looked at the game we were playing. Obviously, once we got closer to the time, we had to really look at how they played. Um, but I think all credit to the players because every single game was a different game. They never really looked to the next game. And obviously then when you get deep and you start winning a lot of games, you build confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first result against Medicine Central was a massive um, program changer for us because we hadn't beaten them in I, I don't know how many years. Yeah. So psychologically, we overcome a huge barrier there, which allowed us to have a little bit more belief going into the other games against them. Mm-hmm. That's Dean Joseph, girls soccer coach, Northwest Rankin. Chris Gardner is uh, here in the studio with us, the boys coach at Northwest Rankin. They won a state championship also in a game that, um, again, according to the rankings, one versus two, not just in the state but in the country. Uh, did did you have to um, uh, keep your guys on the ground to a certain extent, or you know, did they did did, did they coming into the game know about the, the gravity of uh, that type of game they were playing in? 
Well, I've, I've got a really unique group of uh, kids, seniors in particular, and uh, they've been they've been working up for us for four years to ultimately get to this goal. Uh, we didn't look at the rankings much. Uh, the The end result for us was the was the ultimate goal to beat Ocean Springs and win a state championship. Mm-hmm. Now, after the fact, there's been a lot of talk about national this, national that, and um, they they want to put it on their rings and, and all kind of stuff. And, uh, and and we probably will, to be yeah. honest with you. We're very proud of the accomplishment. Um, but no, they were very goal oriented in terms of winning a state championship, and it was it was very easy to keep them on track. I noticed, uh, well, one of the things, and I, I don't know, you, you could be a, a, a fan and knowledgeable of soccer or not have never seen a match before in your life and walk into a stadium and see your team and immediately understand the athleticism and speed that your team has. Uh, tell tell folks a little bit about that. You said uh, you had a, uh, a coach from another sport that may have been on campus a couple of days ago. And, and we, took we did. Notice. We did. We had uh, a coach from uh, from Ole Miss came through looking for uh, Coach Collins to talk some football. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of our guys were being recruited, and uh, uh, he uh, Toby was not available, so he wandered up to the soccer field, and we were, we had to be practicing. And Chandler Shirley, number six for us, he's mm-hmm. a senior, tremendous ball player, just signed with uh, University of Alabama Birmingham, uh, was practicing, doing his thing, and it's just immediate just like you mentioned it's immediate the speed just it just you know pops you can't you can't help but look at how fast this kid is and um and the stuff he can do with it with the ball and his footwork and uh the, the guy came over and grabbed me and said hey duh, does does this kid play football <laughs> and, uh, no he's soccer specific and yeah. it just it just kind of floored him just the athleticism of, of uh, a couple of the kids we have running around can't running just around. catch a football and return yeah. kicks and punts yeah, he could he probably could <laughs> is the thing he's just a tremendous athlete and uh He's going to be very successful in college as well. Uh, I noticed that Jay, Tim, I was, I was going yeah, to. I'm sorry, Sam. Go no, ahead. No, no, no. I was going to stick it here and ask Chris. Uh, you guys beat uh, Clinton uh, the, uh, in the semifinal, I believe, to go to the state championship on mm-hmm. the uh, on the golden goal at the arrows uh, at the arrows field. They're stopping Clinton from winning the double themselves, the football double. The Clinton, yeah. uh, of course, won the six A state championship. What 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 do they think about the golden goal thing? Uh, I mean, that's got to be some sort of. Uh, They've been watching these games, these these international soccer matches and stuff, and seeing Golden Goal all the time. And they, you got you guys have ha- had to have the uh, just the chomping at the bit to want to score that goal and win that game. Well, that's a different story. We we end up in, in overtime because uh, yeah. some controversy at the end of the game. There was uh, some. Illegal... I was going to ask for that next. I was, well, I was there was waiting some, for that. There was some illegal participation at the end of the game. Clinton had a a bonus player participate, but I. It worked out for us. But anyway, yeah, we got in overtime, and um, of course, the golden goal was a sudden death. It's you know, first team that scores wins, and so that's you know, tremendous pressure. It's also tremendous relief when you actually get the goal. Um, but yeah, Al Bolden actually scored that goal for us. That's another one of our kids that is uh, just—he's number thirty-four. Uh, extremely athletic. Uh, we we just had a—we uh, were blessed this You're year. You're talking with, about a, a coach wondering about a guy playing football. Yeah, that kid. That he kid looks, looks like he, yeah, he looks like a tackle. Yeah, I'm he's, telling a, you. he's a big kid. <laughs> But but to be his size, he he really moves extremely yeah. well. And uh, but anyway, he got loose in overtime and was able to score the winner. And uh, just of course, the celebration was fantastic. It's uh, it was it was almost comparable to, to Saturday. Um, but yeah, it was uh, the Golden Goal is a very tense situation. But of course, it worked out, so we're we're quite pleased. If you will, uh, you know, tell us a couple of the guys on on the boys team uh, that. Uh, you know, help carry you guys along. I know you had a bunch of seniors. That's going to be hard to replace. That's a bunch of minutes you're going to have to replace there next year. Yeah, we're losing um, quite a bit, quite but, a bit. Uh, just a just a few of the guys who, who maybe uh, you know helped uh, pull you through and get you uh, back to the championship level. Well, Chandler Shirley, for starters, I mentioned him earlier. He's mm-hmm. uh, going to the University of Alabama, Birmingham. I, I imagine he's the front runner for Gatorade Player of the Year this year. 
Um, Ty Ware, he's the one that scored the first goal for us, number seven. Um, just a tremendous athlete. He's still weighing his options for college. Sumner Richardson, number 24, is our left back. Uh, he is he is moving on again. He's still weighing his options also, William Carey, among others. And our goalkeeper, Carson Tack, and our center back, Jarrett McHenry. Um, I hate to leave anybody out, but those those are the key ones we're, we're losing uh, off this group. 12 seniors in all? I we, think had, no, we had eight. We had eight hey, seniors. I'm sorry. Okay. Eight seniors. Uh, five of them started, seven of them played. Now, we're, we'll bring back quite a bit. We will have uh, you know a, a fairly solid team. But, yes, we're losing some athleticism, and it's going to be a, uh, a challenge. But we're, we're excited about it. Uh, we played – we were so good this year, we, we end up you know winning several games by comfortable margins. So we end up playing a lot of kids. And so we've got some experience coming back. It's just going to uh, – it's going to take some effort to get them in gear. Same thing for you, Coach Joseph. Uh, a, a couple of the the, the girls that uh, really carried you along this year. I noticed, you know, uh, looking over your stats at the the goal scoring was really it was pretty even. I mean, it was not one one player didn't dominate. And you have a lot. You have some young players that uh, that you're leaning on offensively, which has to be good for you know trying to repeat. Yeah, we've still we've still got a very young group. You know, we're only graduating three. Yeah, and. Then our top goal scorer was our ninth grader. We had an eighth grader second. We had tenth graders and eleventh graders that were um, up amongst the mix of goals. So we really spread it across the board, and everybody chipped in at different times. Um, <clears throat> so it was really it was really good for us because no team could come in and say, "Hey, you have to mark this player or this player," because then the next player steps in and scores a goal. Right. Um, so that was nice, and I kind of liked that. And then, obviously, we, we needed a player that was going to kind of score in clutch situations, and that happened for us as well. So we're very happy. Absolutely. Uh, both of you guys, uh, we'll start with you, Coach Garner. Um, the state of soccer, uh, high school soccer in, the, in, in Mississippi, uh, I know the, the college programs are, are trying to come along. And you mentioned, I mean, your best player is probably going to be Gatorade Player of the Year. He's going to wind up at UAB. And um, just wonder how... How those two things are interacting right now in the state of soccer. I know it's 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 you know, just seeing the four games that I got to participate in over the weekend. Uh, obviously, it is a, a tremendously strong in the Jackson Metro area, but also uh, all along the Mississippi Gulf Coast and in Hattiesburg is very good too. Two below North Mississippi, different places. There are really some hotbeds for soccer. A little bit about. Uh, at least for boys, high school soccer in Mississippi. Well, it's growing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my 20th season at Northwest, so I've seen quite a bit of the evolution. Um, of course, the, the strongest teams are still the ones that have the, the, the youth programs. Uh, the metro area has several solid youth programs. The coast has them up in DeSoto County, Tupelo. But just in general, the, the, the level of play is elevated. Um, schools like Forest, who traditionally would not have been you know strong, have are yeah. started playing really good ball. Um just the smaller schools. We, the, the, again, it starts at the youth level, but the evolution at, in high school is is uh, it's been really fun to watch. The level of play is is going up each and every year, and I think it will continue to do so. And then we have the influence of uh, of guys that have coached at high levels, like Coach Joseph, for example. He coached collegiately, and now he's coaching uh, on the high school level, and that's just going to continue to help improve the product. And uh, of course, and you were there; you saw the crowds are growing. There's yeah. people. It's, there's interest, and it's. Uh, you know, in Northwest Ranking in particular, we you know we rival most of the other sports besides football in terms of attendance. We make money in, in yeah. Northwest, and um, it's just it's a fun sport to watch. It's a fun sport for the kids to participate in, and, and again, this is one of those ones they start when they're playing five, six years old, and um, but it's getting better and better every year. Yeah, I was going to ask. That was the last thing I was going to uh, ask you guys about. 
you know, we're seeing uh, sports fans in Mississippi uh, embrace more and more things now than just baseball, basketball, football necessarily. Uh, women's basketball, Mississippi State is drawing huge numbers right now, um, and they're doing really well. Uh, you led me right in my question. I happen to live across the street, basically, uh, from the school. And there's a as the season drug on, after high school football is over, the lights are on over there, and I see there's a ton of cars. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when the game is over and the traffic lets out and Lakeland Drive jams up, as it tends to do at least four or five times a day, uh, it's like at first you're like, what is all this, what's all this commotion? And then you're like, oh, wait. All these people are here to watch Northwest Franklin play soccer. How about your fan support uh, from the, the the reservoir area and then coming out to see you guys and what kind of a difference that makes? Um, this is obviously my first year in high school, but I was just um, fascinated with the amount of fans that come out. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Chris even played a game against an out-of-state team, and uh, I don't know, they must have had four, five, 600 fans there. Wow. Um, on a Saturday, and it was on. <clears throat> it was close to the holiday, so a lot of people had gone away, and they pulled a big crowd. And obviously, because of the quality of the game, but we found that as the season went on, and we were winning more and more games, um, and the players were playing well, people started to hear about, <clears throat> you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the how the girls and guys were playing, and they were coming out to watch and support us. And so that was really good to see. Getting into the playoffs, was, there were massive crowds. Yeah. Um, so we're really happy with that, and we want to continue to put out a good product so that the, the, the fans come out. Chris Gardner, uh, boys head soccer coach at Northwest Rankin, wins the state championship this year, uh, 6A MHSAA state championship. Dean Joseph, girls soccer coach at Northwest Rankin, they win the 6A soccer state championship as well. Guys, congratulations, and thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right, we'll take a break, and we'll have our last segment when we come back with Sam Wells and Jay White. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. For moments in black history, we highlight Medgar Wiley Evers. As a lifelong Mississippian, Medgar Evers wanted equality for all of its citizens. Becoming an NAACP field secretary in 1954, he was moving his vision in Jackson and around the entire state. Becoming a real key in the desegregation of Ole Miss, Medgar Evers was a real change agent until his assassination in 1963. We salute Medgar Evers for his vision. You can kill a man, but you cannot kill an idea. This has been MPV's Moments in Black History. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. Welcome back. It's MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with Sam Wells. I'm Jay White. Yeah, those guys, uh, congratulations to them. Coach Gardner's team, uh, not to uh, to, uh, sham the girls in any kind of way, but he said uh, those, the number six and number seven for his team, if you can go to the NFHS website, and uh, I don't know if you have to, if that game's behind a paywall or not. I did play by play for it, and if you listen to it, I apologize in advance. Um, <laughs> oh, come on now. Well, no, I mean, I told the guys, I don't know. 
You didn't say pitch or any of that stuff, did you? No. Good. I may have thrown a nil in there. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. That know. irks me when the. Uh, I had to watching... correct myself saying game a couple of times because they're matches, right? They're not. Games. I mean, it's either way. Well, you know, I don't know. I tried to, I tried to be respectful to a sport that I don't really know much of anything about. Yeah. Uh, uh, so we, yeah. I could go on and on about my uh, my uh, <laughs> uh, what is it? The the feeling I have about the vocabulary and how and when it should be used. But that's me. That's just me being me. Well, that's why so, I wanted you there with me. I, I know. It, it didn't work out. It was nice to see. I, I did go back, and I don't think you have to go to a paywall because I did go back and watch a couple of those, uh, a little bit of those, oh. both those games. And oh, I'm sorry. Um, no, 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 no. You were, you were, you were uh, very good. And, oh, jeez. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's refreshing to watch a game where, uh, where people actually score with the uh, team that I uh, keep up with. Uh, that doesn't happen very often. So it's nice to, it's nice to see that. Of course, it is easier to explain to my wife that I'm watching a game between Northwest Rankin and Ocean Springs than it is to explain to her that I'm watching a game between Aston Villa and Nottingham Forest because she's like, that sounds why like a, are you doing this? So, Nottingham know. Forest sounds like it might be a dangerous place. Yeah. It, uh, or it, in a Winnie the Pooh book. Yeah. Or, or the yeah, other. It's, a, it's, a very, it, it's either uh, really scary or, uh, or quite uh, like dreamy <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> right. um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, it's a, it's a, I love uh, high school soccer in Mississippi. I, uh, I, I grew up, obviously, in Clinton. Clinton's got a pretty big uh, soccer following as well. And uh, I know a couple of buddies of mine from high school actually went out there to that Clinton uh, Northwest game and just talked about just how fast – Northwest was and how uh, really the team that should have won won that match. So. It was astonishing how athletic they are, specifically six and seven. And they had a defender, um, uh, number 11, who was really, really good also. Uh, but, man, he, he mentioned uh, a forest, uh, you know, different programs from different parts of the state. You wouldn't think necessarily that. I mean, he, he mentioned that more of the teams that are closer to the bigger metropolitan areas where you have – bigger youth programs mm-hmm. uh, with more kids um, are, are where a lot of the, the better teams are coming from. That, that's not a description of Forrest at all. Yeah. But they got this kid named D- uh, Denny's Diaz, who 59 goals on the season, 59. And he's a junior, so he'll be back next year. And I can't imagine uh, that guy with another year of uh, you know uh, maturity and age and growth under his belt. Yeah, Lord have mercy. Yeah. The guy two point six goals per game. Were you kidding me? Yeah, it's a lot. Um, right, <laughs> it's a lot. Of, it's a lot. I mean, I mean that's how many uh, guy. That's how many blocks the center is supposed to average maybe in the basketball game. Now, how many goals you're supposed to score in soccer? Maybe the team is supposed to average two point six a game. I mean, if uh, you average two point six blocks a game, you're probably leading your league in block shots. Right. Uh, which is you know which is uh, which is pretty good, and it goes to show Jay too that uh, you know we like to do, uh, you know we like our football and our baseball uh, and our uh, and our basketball as much as the next guy, but uh, but the athleticism that needs uh, to be that, that will be on showcase that will be showcased in the uh, at the Memphis Racquet Club this uh, next week, as we talked to Ryan Harrison earlier, is unbelievable. If you yeah. don't go and watch uh, tennis up close, the athleticism that's uh, shown on the soccer field from the championships all the way down, you never know what you're going to see uh, as far as that sort of stuff goes it's not just a bunch of running uh it's not just a bunch of falling around no, yeah. and stuff like that i mean uh, these kids go out there and work really hard just like the football teams do just like uh, the baseball teams do uh and uh and it shows for northwest ranking because boy they've got a great they've got two great teams and uh and two state champs they do and uh man it, it the athleticism you talked about it. and look the the memphis uh the memphis open 
if you haven't had an opportunity to go see that, even if you're not the biggest tennis fan necessarily, like I would say, I'm not the biggest tennis fan, but um, just your proximity to the best players in the world. Yeah, that's what's incredible about it. I couldn't get over the fact. I mean, I'm kind of a, I'm a sports dork. There's no doubt about it. And though I'm not hugely versed on, on tennis, I mean, I was geeking out at the fact that I'm, you know, 20, 30 feet away, literally, yeah. from the fifth-ranked tennis player in the world. It was uh, Nichikori was playing. And uh, the the intimacy of the racket club there in Memphis uh, and this, the the seating design, it's, it's awesome. It's a great event. And uh, I know a couple years ago when I went, it was really cold outside, but they had it warm inside. It was very cool. Um, wait. It was it was yes. nice. Yes, you know what I mean. <laughs> but uh, cool, like I have sunglasses on. Cool, right, exactly. And which when you go in and there is a uh, uh, a, a ring, kind of like a uh, imaging or branding ring that goes around um, the level where a lot of the suites are, and on that ring it has the list of all the former champions of the Memphis Open. And all it is is every great name in the history of the sport since about 1970. Uh, from uh, Jimmy Connors, McEnroe, Lindell, uh, Edberg. Pete Sampras is on uh, that list. Yes, Becker. And um, I evidently uh, was into it in 1988. <laughs> <for some> bit, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you're, yes, you're also guys in. since then. Uh, but uh, yeah, and, uh, pretty newly, remarkable. Newly minted Tennis Hall of Famer uh, and uh, my favorite player, Andy Roddick, was That's a three-time right. champion uh, up there. And I saw him play and being right that right. Being that close to a 152-mile-an-hour serve at the time, <laughs> I yeah. mean, you don't even – there's nothing you can really say about that. And the, the, like I said, the speed and athleticism that goes along with uh, with playing top-level professional tennis is just uh, – uh, you don't know it until you, you see it on TV, but you don't see it. Right. It's Absolutely. much different when you're right there. Um, also, Jay, I'd like to give a uh, a thanks to uh, Greg Sharko, who was with the ATP Tour, who arranged that interview with Ryan. Uh, we also spoke with some folks uh, um, last year who helped us out as well again, too. So that was uh, that was great to uh, to be able to touch base with them again. And uh, again, it's just a fun event. It's a great event that's real close uh, to Mississippi. So if you are in the uh, in the area, be, being uh, in a listening shot of us, go up there and check that out because it is a fun and a great tournament. And like a, like you say, if you don't like tennis. And like Ryan said, you got a bar right there. If you don't like tennis, you get bored uh, with there's it. A, there's Ease a, on out and get something to eat. Yeah, there's a huge, um, it's almost like a convention floor. Uh, very similar to, uh, I'd say, maybe the trademark in Jackson. Uh, there's almost like three huge halls. One is like that convention hall where they're doing uh, anything from uh, tennis equipment uh, demos to cooking demos and everything else. There's lounges where you can get beverages and food and watch different sports or watch the tournament if you want. And then there's of course a second hall with more courts. All right, it's basically it's the main it's the main hall, but it's split into two. And a lot of times there's two courts where simultaneously there are you know uh, preliminary rounds, doubles, different stuff like that going on all the time. Uh, so. Uh, really cool there. Uh, the other champions in soccer, I don't want to leave this out. Oxford won the 5A girls. Um, uh, it was uh, Sacred Heart who won the 1, 2, 3A girls. Uh, the 4A girls champion was uh, West Lauderdale. 
who I think has won like something like 14 straight cha- state championships. Oxford won 5A boys. Florence won 4A boys. And St. Patrick was uh, the 1-2-3A boys champion as well.